Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. The Brooks is open in Overton Park, home to Memphis art collection since 1916. The Memphis Brooks Museum of Art holds the largest collection of world art in the region, with more than 10,000 works spanning 5,000 years of art and cultures. Remember, every Wednesday is free and open until 8 p.m. They are a proud sponsor of WYXR. For more information about the museum and their exhibitions, visit brooksmuseum.org. You belong at the Brooks. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum, the Memphis Metropolis host. And, you know, I drive down Vance Avenue a lot. That's my main, I live in Midtown, and that's my main route to go downtown is down Vance for whatever reason. And so, you know, I guess uh, I drive I drive um, by the 588 Vance several times a week. And that's the location of the NAACP. And I noticed, I guess within the last couple of years, it had gotten a really beautiful facade improvement. And I want to talk about that a little bit later, but that got me thinking about the building and if it had any interesting history in the surrounding neighborhood, of course, is very important. So in order to explore those those subjects more. I invited two people who are longtime volunteers with NAACP, uh, Dieter Malone, who was with the Carter Malone Marketing Group, and then Felicia Harris, who's with Administrator of Planning with the city, And but they're both um, very active and longtime volunteers for NAACP. So after all that very wordy introduction, <laughs> welcome, Felicia, and welcome, Deirdre. Thank Thanks, you. Emily. So let's, before we talk about the, I really want to talk about the building and the neighborhood, but before we talk about that, um, tell me a little bit about, and either one of you can do this, tell me a little bit about, you know, when the NAACP came to Memphis and um, why it was a big deal. I think it was one of the very first local chapters. And um, so, so tell me about that. Sure, I'll I'll start. I'll jump in. Okay. And so the NAACP was founded here in Memphis in 1917, and actually it was due to the lynching of L. Persons uh, that um, uh, the secretary of the NAACP, James E. Weldon, came to Memphis at the time to investigate it. He met with his friend Robert R. Church Jr. Uh, and they you know, discussed the lynching of L. Persons was accused of raping a white uh, girl here in Memphis and was lynched uh, on May, the May of 1917, June 1917, is when Secretary Weldon comes to Memphis. And out of this uh, effort, the NAACP Memphis branch was birthed. And so we started in 1917 by, I think we were one of four in the South at the time, but by 1919, we were the largest in the South. Where did it start? In Atlanta? No, no, no. And it it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was in the Washington area, but here's the other piece to what I just want to, you know, reinforce what Felicia said, Emily, Robert Church Jr. 
he helped expand it in the South. Um, Memphis, of course, was one of the first, but then after that, he went across the country and he made it a priority to have branches in the South. And so and we're very proud of that because he's Memphis. Well, and I guess he, and we'll probably talk about, you know, Ben Hooks later, but he also was very active in the national organization. So it sounds like Memphis has been very instrumental in the growth of the NAACP generally. Right. Yes. And actually it was in 1909 that the NAACP national uh, was nationally started, have uh, others as connected uh, to Memphis, to the national branch, Ida B. Wells, uh, Barnett, as a lot of us know her now, but Ida B. Wells was uh, one of the founding members of uh, NAACP. Uh, P national branch. Of course, we talked about uh, Benjamin Hooks, who had a uh, you know, national presence as well as a local uh, presence of the NAACP as well. And then there have been many others, but those are some of the two uh, most famous ones. And uh, so like the, the founding mother and fathers, uh, like Ida B. Wells, um, W.E.B. Du Bois, and, and others. Well, in those very early years, um was the, I mean, were the was it the activities similar to what you think now? A lot of activism and protesting and organizing, I guess I should say. It it was, and it was, and it was a very diverse group. It wasn't just people of color. It was white people who also felt like, you know, folks of color should have equal opportunities and rights. So um, the organization was was founded with a very diverse group of individuals, um, still with the same mission of looking for opportunities to advance people of color. Um, and that struggle still continues today. So before we move on to talk about really about more history and about the building, um, let's just tell people what some of the current NAACP's programs are, because I don't think I really know. Yeah, so, so, and Felicia and I are going to tag team on this one. Um, what really shocked me, Emily, and Felicia can tell you this, when I was president of the NAACP Memphis branch and we were doing our annual event, one of the things that was important to me was to kind of show the community, what we're all about. And it was amazing because people who attended that lunch and said, you know, I didn't know you were doing all of this. We're very, very youth focused. Um, we have a youth council that consists of teenagers who are in middle and high school, who we teach them about voting education um, and things of that nature. They learn how to volunteer at food banks, um, we have the AXO program where, you know, high school students from across the area who are talented, they can be young entrepreneurs or musicians or artists, um, have an opportunity to compete at a local level. And if they do really well, can go to the national NAACP and compete. And we've brought home a whole lot of awards for our young folks. So what, what, Another, what are the awards? Like what is the AXO awards? What are the, what are the categories that people compete in? 
Oh, entrepreneurship, uh, the arts, they can be a singer, they can be a photographer, they can be a poet, a playwright, mm-hmm. they can be a poet. What else, Felicia? Did I miss anything? If they're a photographer, they, people, they will look at their photography and judge those items. Mm-hmm. Those are the, high, the highest ones. Yeah. Well, so and the, so so the the biggest programs right now are the ones that are youth focused. Well, not all of no. them. No, we have uh, veteran affairs. We mm-hmm. have a criminal justice movement. Uh, our executive director often talk about the number of people that call because they are they have discrimination cases in respect to the judicial system. Uh, we have economic development. We look at policies as it relates to housing and education, environmental justice. We have a, a long list of, of things health, uh, labor industry, uh, and we not only assist with things here in Memphis and issues and that come up here in Memphis, but all around the region. Uh, like most recently, the case in, oh, I think it's Oakland, Tennessee, Oakland and Tennessee, as well as Mason, Tennessee. So we're not just, uh, you know, here in Memphis, but all around uh, this region that we're supporting and fighting for justice. Okay. And, and, and Emily, we are one of the largest branches in the country. I don't think people, you know, people would think New York, they would think L.A., but we compete annually with Detroit for, you know, the largest number of members of our branch. So we're very proud of the folks who, you know, think that the organization is worthy to continue to be a member of. Um, We're big on voting education. Um, We often hold Uh, forums where we invite people. We can't tell you who to vote for, but at least we can educate you on the candidates. Um, We do rides to the polls. We um, monitor and then we sue election commissions (laughs) when we feel like (laughs) they're not having enough early voting sites in, in the core city. So um, we're a very, very active branch. Wouldn't you say so, Felicia? Definitely. That's a Definitely. lot. I had no idea there was. I mean, I think I knew about the 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 get out the vote and the voter education and but definitely I didn't know about a lot of that work, especially that work outside of Memphis. So all right. Well, I'm just kind of tired thinking about all that because I know it's primarily volunteer driven and even though you have some staff and so having been on having been part of that volunteer engine and other organizations, I can relate to how much work that probably goes into all of those things. So I don't want to digress too much, but was the, I read in the paper that one of the members of the Memphis eight died um, and um, which is eight students at integrated university in Memphis. And um, was NAACP involved in that back in the day? I'm sure. I mean, I can't say, I don't, I'm sure Maxine Smith, Yeah, yeah. Maxine Smith and Vasco Smith, they were very active and instrumental in, you know, those students uh, integrating the University of Memphis. And so, yes, yes, we were. Well, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. It just kind of (laughs) I I just saw something about it in the Daily Memphian. So uh, about that. And I imagine that was something NAACP got involved with. 
So, um, so, bef- so the the Vance location um, is not the. Um, it, it's been in NLACP's been at 588 Vance for a while, but it was in some other locations. I did a little googling um, mm-hmm. and discovered that for a while it was on. Uh, Lauderdale. It looked like it was right next to where Claiborne Temple is. I was wondering if it was in that office building that is right next to Claiborne Temple. And then also it was on Beale for a while. So do you know anything about those different locations and where it moved and why? Uh, no, I, I don't know. Uh, I can't remember all of that history. I was thinking about that and I left my book at home. But Christy Turner, um, I think she's the granddaughter of Jesse Turner Sr. wrote a book about her grandfather and she talks in that book a lot about uh, the history of NAACP and specifically the the buildings and the movement. So I like to point uh, listeners to her book. Uh, But at one, while we were in Olivet uh, Baptist Church and uh, most recently in the years since in uh, over 40 years have been in the location where we are now at 588 Vance. Uh, before it was a bank, uh, Benjamin Hooks also used it as uh, his uh, office, but we've been like, at the current location for a number of years. So it was, so, so elaborate on that a little bit. So it was originally a bank and then it was Benjamin Hooks Law Office? Right, yes. So like A.W. Willis and others, a, a lot of the uh, like, Benjamin Hooks, uh, A.W. Willis, uh, the Universal Life Owners, all of them, a lot of them were very, they were working together on various initiatives. And and I can't remember which one of them, but one of them had an office at, at the current location. I wonder if it was a, a tri-state bank location. I don't, I don't think it was tri-state, but it was a bank. Um, and it and Ben Hooks did, Felicia's right, have a law office there. And then eventually, Jesse Turner Sr. had an office in that building. Right, Felicia? Cause right. He- and, and Jesse Jr., uh, Jesse Turner Jr. <laughs> also uh, had uh, his offices there uh, for a number of years. So it's been um, a, a, a lot of different people having offices there. Um, and then like uh, currently we have not only our uh, headquarters, our local branch there, but also other small businesses hopefully will be moving into the building. So uh, trying to keep entrepreneurship and supporting small business owners alive, uh, you know, as the, to carry out the legacy. So there's a second floor. I've never been inside the building. Yes, we have two floors. Uh, and so the downstairs floors, mainly a conference room, NAACP, uh, branch, uh, Memphis branch offices. And then we are in the process of renovating uh, three other um, uh, three other offices to try to incubate local uh, small business owners. And upstairs, uh, we have a conference room and several other offices that uh, you know, nonprofits or business owners also will be able to uh, rent out for a small fee. And that will help us to, you know, the profits gained from that 
will help us to maintain the building. So, so Emily, may, may I just go back for a minute and say, when Felicia and I came into office, Felicia will remember this. One of the first thing, one of the first conversations we had with that board at the time, we were all a new board, was because some people wanted to sell the property and there were people who were interested in it. Um, do we want to keep this property? Do we want to renovate the property? Do we want to sell the property? And that was a part of Felicia's 588 Vance committee. And the board decided to keep the property and renovate it under Felicia's leadership. Well, it was definitely the building needed love. And because, as I mentioned, I drive by, I read all the time, and I would drive by and think, like, you know, that just isn't good. That's just not right. That's such an important building. And I get it. It's, I mean, NAACP doesn't have a lot of resources and that stuff costs money. So don't, don't think it was a criticism at all. It was more Mm -hmm. me thinking, you know, we can do better as a community um, than to, um, we can do better as a community. So how did that, um, I was going to ask about this a little later, but how, since you brought it up, Felicia, how did that whole, um, that whole, I mean, actually there's been several facades along that street have been redone. Um, the library, uh, Cornelia Crenshaw, and then the recording studio. So what, um, so what sort of initiative from the city made those improvements possible? Sure. So uh, City of Memphis, in partnership with Memphis Housing Authority, was awarded a $30 million Choice Neighborhood Initiative grant. And the Choice Neighborhood Initiative is a program under the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. And the point of the program is to really transform neighborhoods. It has three uh, points of interest. People looking at the social services that are in the neighborhood, the uh, neighborhood amenities that are in the neighborhood, and housing. Well, uh, as part of the uh, grant, the grant was for $30 million. The city had to match the grant dollar for dollar. And then there have been many other uh, investments in the neighborhood as a result of us receiving the grant. Well, under the neighborhood portion, one of the programs that we uh, have or had at the time was South City Good Neighbor Grant. And so we partnered with the Downtown Memphis Commission to administer the grant. And so we invited area businesses and nonprofits in the South City area because the focus area for the choice neighborhood is South City, which in South City is a a neighborhood in South Memphis that borders downtown and Soulsville and other uh, areas. And so in uh, South City, we look to re kind of do facade improvements for uh, companies and nonprofits that were in the neighborhood. And so, as I was saying that we partnered with Downtown Memphis Commission to administer the grant, uh, companies and nonprofits apply through an application process and were awarded um, you know, grant funds to do facade improvements. And so the 
um, NAACP as well as a recording studio you were speaking of, they both received grants. And then there were some others in South City as well, uh, the um, Paradise Event Center was another one in South City that received the Passat Improvement Grant. So when we're, um, you mentioned that there was a bunch of internal, you know, there's been a bunch of internal renovations. Were those funded separately or was the, was the, um, what did the grant pay for those or just for the facade piece, the Choice Neighborhoods grant? Sure, yeah, the Choice Neighborhood grant just paid for the facade improvements. Uh, so that's everything that you see outside. Uh, that's the, the the new layout in terms of the painting, uh, the paint on the building, the light, the signage, things of that nature. Um, but the inside is still underway. So we're still raising funding for that, seeking funding uh, for that. Uh, We have had some uh, sponsorships and donations. And I think uh, Deidre probably can talk a little bit more uh, about that uh, than I can. But we have had some companies that have sponsored different things, such as the lighting. And, you know, so they we've been kind of looking at it line item by line item and getting, you know, different ones, different companies of sponsorships and donations to help with that. But we are still in a fundraising uh, capital improvement (laughs) process. Well, and all, I mean, a lot of people listen to the show as a podcast and I'll put a link to the NAACP Memphis um, website on the on the, in the show notes for the podcast. And so people have an opportunity to find out how they can provide financial support for this because because it, it looks great. I mean, it just, yeah. when you drive by there, it looks great. And like I said, there's been other facades um, funded by choice neighborhoods or not. There's been other facade improvements along that street. And um, so it's just, it's just a really big improvement. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. And we're talking to Felicia Harris and Dieter Malone, longtime volunteers for the NAACP. And we're talking about the, the 588 Vance building, um, NAACP headquarters, which has had a lot of improvements. And then what I want to talk about now is uh, this, just a little bit about the surrounding neighborhood. I feel like, and, and Felicia, maybe, I mean, of course, you, you one of your initiatives is the Memphis Heritage Trail, um, which encompasses a lot of historic sites. Emily, before you go to Memphis Heritage Trail, I do want to share that Felicia's right. We have had some support and we've not publicly acknowledged um, who has helped us with some of the renovations. So the Tennessee Valley Authority did rewire the whole building, um, provided a new HVAC system for, um, for the building. About five or six Shelby County commissioners also made contributions to the building. So, and we're very grateful for that. Okay, but, you're, but, you're, right. but you still need more. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot of work to do um, inside the building as well as outside the building because we have to address parking lot, lighting, security. (laughs) We have a list of uh, things that we need to address. Yeah, the parking lot hasn't been repaved yet, right? I think I noticed that. Right, yeah, not yet. So we're, I mean, so like 
our intent is to get to that, but we're trying to uh, really take care of the building first um, and then move to the outdoor unless, you know, uh, some earmark come toward us for that. Well, and, you know, people don't think about things like repaving. It's like the least sexy thing, but it's very expensive. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, um, so that the surrounding neighborhood, I mean, there's just so much history there. We talked about Claiborne Temple, of course, Universal Life. And so talk a little bit about that street and how important it was and is to African-American life and history here in Memphis. Sure. So Memphis Heritage Trail is a cultural revitalization and redevelopment initiative uh, that is sponsored by the City of Memphis Division of Housing and Community Development. I happen to be the project manager over uh, Memphis Heritage Trail. And so for a number of years, we've really been trying to, as we work to transform and improve our neighborhoods, to make sure that we're being intentional about telling the story of the neighborhood, telling the history and maintaining that. Uh, But South City, a part of South Memphis, is a very historic area in Memphis. Within our Memphis Heritage Trail boundaries, we have over 60 cultural assets. And many of them are uh, at one time, we're along Vance Avenue. You talked earlier about Cornelia Crenshaw Library, one of the first African-American libraries uh, here in Memphis. They held a lot of African-American history and uh, special collections at one time before a historic fire. Robert R. Church uh, Jr. or Sr., I can't remember, uh, had a home that was at the corner of Lauderdale and Vance. And, you know, so it's been a lot of, and then at one uh, point in time, that was a major thoroughfare in terms of economic development and economic activity in Memphis. We uh, still have the, uh, our branch office, NWCP branch, Memphis branch office alone bans, but there was a nursing school and a lot of other things. And also it was at, uh, in the middle of what is now Foot Park and Claiborne Point at Heritage Landing, formerly Foot Homes and uh, Claiborne Homes and other uh, housing developments that have since been redeveloped and revitalized. And so the area of South City, which is the uh, core of Memphis Heritage Trail, as I said, is a very historic area. Uh, place here in Memphis, as well as its connection to uh, Bill Street and its no um, its connection and its um, to Claiborne Temple, Universal Life. Uh, one thing I think a lot of times we don't think about, but the African American elite, a lot of them lived in this neighborhood. At the time, they were business owners, they were entrepreneurs, they lived, worked, and worshiped all within one community. And so this is what makes this community uh, so unique. And even if we think about all of the historic people that were once residents of foot homes and Claiborne homes, from musicians to politicians, uh, you know, a lot of people... Well, actually, that sort of reminds me of a question I was going to ask you. You know, of course, I've heard, you know, that 
Beale Street was, you know, the Black Main Street and, you know, where people came from all over to conduct business and entertainment. So was this area sort of a greater, the greater part of that? I mean, the the residential area, was it all kind of one um one one melting pot because you have you you had a mixed income community before it was really uh, uh popular to say right so you had doctors lawyers and teachers uh living in the same community right next door to people who were sanitation workers and you know uh domestic workers all living within one community which makes it uh so unique so it you know, and at the at the time, you know, a lot of, you know, just how can I say children were able to see people that they esteemed to be right next living right next to them. And then you had a lot of businesses like R.S. Lewis Funeral Home and other funeral homes that are along Vance Avenue and in the area that served as a business downstairs and a residence upstairs. And so it was very unique in that. Well, and I did a I did a. um a show not that long ago about the, the about the Griggs Business College, which mm-hmm. is right there at um, Advance and um, Danny Thomas. So that's part of that right. whole mix. Mm-hmm. So speaking of that corner, there's a there's a really putting you on the spot. So across the street on Vance, there's another historic funeral home that's just in not in good condition. And um, is anyone working to save that building? Do you know? You know, you know the building I'm talking about. I know exactly. Yeah, the one you're talking about, and I do not know. Quails? Is that what it is? The quails or quals? Yes, quals. Quals funeral. Yes. That's another building I drive by and think somebody, somebody needs to. So that, yeah, and I do. I do the same thing. I was like, I wonder, do like the same family still own that building? Who owns that building? I mean, and I mean, I drive through all throughout Memphis and have the same mental discussions. Definitely. <laughs> well, there's a lot too, and I had, and I um, one of the things I do in Memphis Metropolis is try to lift up stories of people that fill in that blank. You know, somebody ought to, and then mm-hmm. they've done it because they can't stand it. So. But that, but those built that building needs a savior. I mean, it's all kind of it was that neighborhood. I think was very rich in funeral homes at one time, and um, R.S. Lewis is still there. But I don't know about the others. Right, yeah, there are a few others still alone. This one down, right down from uh, our headquarter, our branch office, and I, the name escapes me right now. But R.S. Lewis is still there and very much active. Well, and that building's in looks like it's in beautiful condition. Yes. So uh, one actually one of our executive board members uh, owns that building, uh, Tyrone Barrows. Uh, owns R. Um, S. Lewis, and they have really been such a, a benefit and an asset to the community. Not only are they historic uh, in and of themselves, but you know just the support that they give to the local branch as well as the community at large is wonderful. So the Memphis Heritage Trail is actually something that you can tour on foot or on car i know so so and it's not just south city i know it's also orange mound but how can people get more information about the and are there any important sites right in that area that we haven't talked about 
Well, definitely. As I said, we have over 60 historical sites. I would love to uh, for people to visit our website, uh, memphisheritagetrail.com. And I would be remiss if I did not mention that Carter Malone Group... <laughs> actually designed our beautiful site for us, uh, as well as been working with us for a number of years to uh, do project management and help us in a lot of ways to think through our Memphis Heritage Trail master plan. And we have our Memphis Heritage Trail app. People can download it free from their Google Play Store, as well as their Apple Store, and they can tour it virtually. But you can walk it, you can drive it, you can ride your bike. Uh, we want people to get out. I, I, I really try to describe Memphis Heritage Trail as a walking museum because in a very close vicinity, you have a number of our uh, sites and partner sites. So we have Claiborne Temple, the National Civil Rights Museum, Withers Museum, Universal Life, uh, the NAACP office, Booker T. Washington High School, Soulsville, Orange Mound. I mean, each one of these neighborhoods have tons of things in them to see and to experience. A uh, four-way grill. Um, you know, it's, I mean, it's, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, but I will uh, really love for people to come out and walk around. We also have located all throughout our three core neighborhoods in our residential loop, our wayfinding signage. Uh, you can uh, go there and download our Memphis Heritage Trail app. And when you get there, you can scan the QR code. You can read the information, but you also can dial the number and listen to the recording uh, that's there as well. And so there are many different uh, ways that you can experience. And then I don't know if I, if I mentioned our YouTube channel and we're on all social media. Okay. Yeah. I encourage people to check it out. The um, Felicia, before we started recording, I was telling you that I did a show a couple weeks ago about the Ernest Withers home in the Walker Homes area had just been added to the National Register of Historic Places, and and part of that discussion was about how you know African American historical sites are really underrepresented um, yeah. on those sort of official lists um, nationally and locally, and so this is a great opportunity for people to get out and see some really in a very efficient manner. A lot of these are clustered um, in a couple mm -hmm. of hours learn about some really important parts of Memphis history. So, I mean, that, that really is an excellent po point. Uh, a few years ago, we received a National Park Service grant, and the goal was to go out into our community uh, along, the, uh, along the Memphis Heritage Trail and identify, because we are an underrepresented community, to identify potential landmarks that could be added or recommended for the National Registry. So it is so important uh, in the fact that we are desiring to tell a full and an inclusive story. Okay. Yeah, it is important. So everyone needs to check it out because it's a wonderful app. It's, just a, it's a really a wonderful resource. So Deidre, what else about NAACP have I not asked you um, about the building or the local branch that people need to know about? Well, outside of we are very active at the national level. Um, we have three members of our branch that are national officers, Emily. Um, Dr. Gina Stewart, 
is on the board. Damar Roberts is on the board. And then our national treasure is Jesse Turner Jr., right, Felicia? Yes. So um, outside of that, we were just very proud of the fact that the 588 Vance Board or committee is committed to making the building a revenue generator for the branch. Um, excited to be able to offer the property to nonprofits to use. Um, and excited to get all of the renovation done so people can enjoy not just the outside of the property, but also the inside of the property. Well, and I meant to ask you earlier when we were talking about, we didn't talk that much about Ben Hooks and he was, you know, so important. Was he, um, was, was the, were you in that building or was it, was his law office there at the time that he was so involved in leading the national organization? We were there, Felicia, I want to believe when he was a leader because a national leader, because Maxine Smith was in that building um, during that time. That's correct. Right. And so and then Jesse, I mean, then Johnny Turner became the executive director or executive director after Miss Smith. And so, yes. But what's so exciting, too, Emily, is that we just honored. Dr. Hook's uh, grandnephew. Oh, wow. Michael Hook's junior. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, I knew knew that. (laughs) (laughs) So the Hook's family, and he just committed, you know, $5,000 to our youth council, right, Felicia? I think it was our youth youth initiative or youth Mm -hmm. council. Mm -hmm. So the Hook's family um, is still engaged, and, and that's an exciting thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it sounds like the... Oh, I, I, I wanted to add something too. Um, we talked earlier about our memberships. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we are open for more members. Uh, you do not have to be African-American. We will, every, we are, we want everyone to come and, and join us um, as we just carry forth our mission of just fighting for a, much, a more just society. Okay. That's good to know. And I'll have to look we, into that. We need workers. We need workers, Emily. We, need, we don't need just members. We need folks who want to just, you know, pick up that mantle and, and help us. And we need more drive the cars on to, to take people to the polls. <laughs> yeah. I hear. Yeah. Well, it sounds like just the, you know, the local branch has just been so important nationally over time. So that's a, just a really, those stories starting with Robert church up through the present. It just, it's just very, very important in terms of the history. Well, great. Well, you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM, and we've been talking about the NAACP and its building at 588 Vance. And my guests have been Dieter Malone, who's with Carter Malone Group, and Felicia Harris, who's planning and administrator of the city. And they're here today talk, really representing NAACP, both longtime volunteers. So thank you both. Thank you, Felicia. Thank you, Dieter, for coming on the program. Thank, thank you. you thank you for having us. You're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. Have you checked out any of WYXR's other shows? You can see the whole program guide on our website at wyxr.org. And while you're there, please consider making a donation. We're a brand new station lifting up everything Memphis, and we need your support. But don't go away. Stay tuned for the rest of the show. 
Memphis Listening Lab proudly supports WYXR. They provide a curated collection of music and music history, a forum for music-related talks and performances, and a music education, appreciation, and experimentation space located in Crosstown Concourse. The lab is open Tuesday through Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can find out more information on their Instagram page at Memphis Listening Lab or on their website at memphislisteninglab.org. Welcome back to part two of Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. And I'm welcoming back one of our commentators, Cole Bradley, that hasn't been on the show in a while. So welcome back, Cole. Hello. It's good to be back. Well, you know, I had coffee a couple weeks ago. Someone reached out to me and said, you know, I'm a big fan of your show and I'd love to meet for coffee. And of course, I don't know how many fans we have. So <laughs> I welcomed that. And so we got together and this really nice woman was just, she just really likes the show and wanted to meet. And I was feeling all proud of myself. And then, um, and then she said, especially the commentators, they're really <laughs> great. And Cole is the best. <laughs> so not only was my you know, my ego momentarily deflated, but then I was realizing that I really haven't had the commentators on lately. Um, and I needed to rectify that. So, so I'm, I'm sorry. I haven't had you on lately, Cole, but I'm happy you're back. Well, that's okay. That's so kind. Maybe I can help boost your ratings. Cause I'm so fabulous. Uh, please, uh, please. That's uh, like compliments are so embarrassing, but so kind. That's so nice. I love to hear I know. That. I, I know. I, it's I thought. I feel like it's it's not really truly me. I feel like it's because you and I have such a fun rapport and, uh, you know, I just have such a good banter back and forth uh, I do, and that I really do. comes through. Oh, yeah. I think that's true. I think I think the the quality of the discussions is what makes I mean, and I think you and I have talked about that. I've had, you know, guests who were working in very interesting ways who weren't necessarily the dynamic and it's hard to get a stimulating conversation. But also you can have a guest who's um, working on something that some people would consider to be dry. Not that there are any two dry topics for Memphis Metropolis, but some people who would be working on something you might think are dry, but they're so passionate about it that it really, you know, it's not always the subject. It's the quality of the yeah, guest. It can be infectious a, for sure. It, ma- it makes a good program. And I do think you and I have a good rapport. So the, on the first half of the show, um, I had, you know, Deirdre Malone from Carter Malone group and, um, Felicia Harris from the city, um, who are both very involved with the NAACP. And the, you know, my asking them to be on was prompted by the fact that I drive on Vance Avenue all the time and the double NAACP building got a much needed facelift and looks really great. And it just got me thinking about the history and the and the building, and of course, they shared a lot of very interesting history. You know, it used to be Ben Hook's law office, and um, and then talked some about the renovation and and what's still to come. They're pl- actually planning a lot more improvements. But that that like one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, and I feel like we've talked about this before, is you know the connection between physical place and you know, the stories and the community history. You know, I'm a very, you know, I'm very interested in historic preservation. I feel like I'm a very 
place oriented person. And, you know, in the case of historic preservation, one of the great things about it, I did a show recently about Ernest Withers' home in Westwood being added to the National Register of Historic Places. And I had his son on and we were talking about some of his experiences growing up in the home. And this is just a very small ranch house in the Walker Homes area. Not what you think of his historic home. And it, but that made me reflect on, on you know, the importance of the structure, uh, the connection between the structure and the stories and I know that's something you're interested in. We've talked about that. So just, just talk about that for a minute, because um, I know you share my interest in that. Yeah, of course. I mean, when you think about, you know, from an anthropological ex- perspective, places, physical things, it doesn't have to be places, you know, any sort of physical thing holds our memories, it holds our stories, it holds our histories. You know, we have this joke of humans will pack bond with literally anything because we are pack animals, right? We are social by nature and places, particularly public places or or communities that hold many communal places within their borders are important to us. They're part of the pack, so to speak. They're part of of who we are and our histories and our identities and and our cultures and all these things. And so like, I think we in Memphis have, you know, some really great examples. I mean, think about the heritage trail that you all talked about in the first half, the Memphis heritage trail that is place-based, right? There's markers along a place that mark places in history. And so that's, people can visit that and be connected to those histories through those visits. Look at something like Graceland, we're, you know, at the tail end of Elvis week, right? And Graceland is a great example here in Memphis of a place that people flock from all over the world to come to because it holds the history. It holds the connection to this story and this person that they love so deeply. And I think, you know, y'all talked a lot about Robert Church. And I think uh, Robert Church is a great example. Robert Church Sr. So the house that was at it was actually on Lauderdale, just just a little off of Vance, about a block and a half from where the NAACP building sits now. And I think that house is a great example. So that was such a symbol, right? Places are symbolic. And it was such a symbol of Black success and Black wealth in Memphis and political power and community and status and all of the things that Black Memphians could be had the had the potential to be right and what building does boss crump choose to burn down it's that one because he too understood that symbols are important and places are important and so burning that home to the ground was the start of a loss of a lot of the history and heritage of that neighborhood you know how many people know that story now not as many as used to know or would know, did the church house still stand? That's a great example. But on some level, I feel like, um, you know, Robert Church was, you know, very prominent and an important person in history. And the house is gone, but I feel like well, not everybody knows the history for sure. Yeah. But, um, but that was sort of going to be my follow-up question. Like, what happens does the history get lost when the structures go away? I mean, I could argue that in his case, like I said, his story has been lifted up and documented, but there were lots of that whole neighborhood where the NAACP building is. Um, there's some buildings that remain, but a lot of that neighborhood has been, you know, replaced. Well, first of all, with um, original 
public housing and now, you know, new mixed income communities, but that whole neighborhood has been transformed. And how do those, the smaller stories that are so important, how do those get, you know, documented and from an, like from an anthropological perspective, if the structures are no longer there to remind us that something happened there? Yeah. So that's exactly my point. It's not that, it's not that people don't know Robert Church's story, for example, uh, many people do, but fewer people know than if they did, if, if that church or if the home still stood and were say turned into a museum that held the history and told the stories in an active way, more Memphians would know it. More Memphians would visit, you know, and, and know that story. And to your point, his story remains because he was so prominent and important. He and the, you know, several other prominent folks around who lived and worked uh, in concert with him uh, and his son. Uh, but those smaller stories do get lost. The places that they live and survive are in places like archives. Well, how accessible is that to the masses? Most people are not going to go visit an archive to learn about this neighborhood. Now I am because it was my job to do that, you know, but most people aren't. And so it does get lost. And eventually those smaller stories of those lives that lived in these places and worked in these places uh, disappear. But I don't know. That's kind of the nature of things. When you think long term in humanity, right? Do we remember the stories of individual, say, you know, Egyptians or Incans or all of these people that we see these massive uh, buildings and structures like pyramid structures and things that we remember those people who were committed to those pyramids uh, or to those monoliths, those big structures uh, who have their faces carved on them, but we don't remember the day-to-day folks. So in some ways, it's kind of part of human nature to be lost, but still it happens faster when the places disappear. Well, I think that's true, but um, but I do think it's important, you know, what places get torn down and what places what places do get torn down and what places don't. Yeah, of course. I mean, I mean, I mean, when you think about neighborhoods in Memphis that have, have been torn down, I think about the one that's where French Fort was, which was a, you know, a thriving, um, a thriving community, I think poor, but a thriving community in urban renewal. All of that was torn down and was promised to be rebuilt and it wasn't eventually it was redeveloped as French Fort, which is, you know, a suburban style neighborhood, but that was torn down. But, you know, Cooper Young wasn't. And, um, and, you know, Cooper Young was a, you know, a middle income neighborhood, you know, relatively small. I was picking on these examples because it's not necessarily um, equitable, even even in the smaller stories. I mean, I think when you, when we talked about the, uh, the dearth of places on African-American sites on the National Register of Historic Places. I mean, it gets to that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We do have to acknowledge in everything that we do around or discuss around development in urban spaces or anywhere, really, especially in the U.S., that the what gets torn down, what gets built over and what goes on top of it is not equitable in any way, shape or form. And so, you know, that neighborhood where the NAACP sits now, uh, 
I, you all talked about it in the first half that it was such an important place in Memphis, African-American and black history, but it was targeted to be demolished on purpose because it wasn't just uh, mixed professionally and mixed income as y'all discussed, although it was, and that was an important piece of it. It was also racially mixed and that was unheard of. And it was the epicenter of, like I said, you know, sort of black, uh, black excellence, if you will, in Memphis. And so that was targeted intentionally. And then over top of it was placed the very first black public housing in Memphis, which is Foot Homes, as, as we've mentioned. And then shortly thereafter, Cleborn Homes, as we've also mentioned, um, were built and they were built on purpose on that site. And I, there's this such a great, uh, what's well, not great, it's really messed up, but such a, uh, a great example of when that was built, when Foot Homes opened as the very first black public housing in Memphis, there was a, a national federal level, a government employment employee who came down and gave a speech and essentially said, you black Memphians, if you do not live here in this place, you are not being patriotic. You are not being a true Memphian and you are doing a disservice to yourself and your family and your community if you don't move here. And so they did. And then the government abandoned them in terms of developing those places, the spaces, the neighborhoods, upkeeping the buildings, all of the commitments that the government had made. And all of that was also intentional. So now here we are in the next wave where that has also been demolished and a new thing sits on top of it and the neighborhood is changing again. And so, yeah, we have to acknowledge a lack of equity throughout all of this and whose stories get lost. That's so interesting. Um, and and it's and it, you do see, um, you know, things being preserved. Now, I mean, I don't want to say too little too late because, you know, the Universal Life Building has been re, you know, acquired and restored. You talked about the Heritage Trail, which is really an amazing, um, you know, a t- really a tourist route. I mean, not just tourists, but a tourist and local route of important African-American sites. There's two parts of it. One is in that neighborhood, um, in that Vance area, Vance and Beale. And then there's another part of the route in Orange Mound that documents important sites. So there are things, and even little things like the NAACP building. I mean, there definitely are things happening to try to rebuild the history. And, but it's, um, but I do wonder about the stories that we will never hear because the places don't, places aren't around anymore. It's, uh, I mean, you know, as a historian or a person, and not a historian, but a person who loves history and particularly loves the city, yeah, it's kind of a, it's kind of gut wrenching to walk around and think, you know, what lives walked before you on those streets that won't be known beyond a generation or two. Um, but again, I don't know. I personally take a little solace in knowing that the majority of human history will go the same. Maybe. Maybe. I would- I always want to go back in time. I always like want to shut my eyes and go back in time to um, when those places were still there to be a fly on the wall when that was a bustling neighborhood of black excellence, as you so well described it. Yeah. When Bill Street was the black Main Street and, you know, before white supremacy took back over. You know, um, and when and when, you know, although you know, was, let me correct myself and just say at no point was white supremacy not present, but <laughs> there was room for growth and for excellence. And they 
those Memphians made those spaces. They created and carved those spaces for themselves in and through and around white supremacy. But so not to get too political, but let's let's just be honest about what was happening. That's this is such a critical piece of this story of this community. Yeah, I mean, that's so intertwined with place and the history of place. Absolutely. Particularly in this community. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right, Cole. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but it's been great um, having you on the program. And so if you're just, well, you're probably not just joining us, but we've been, you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. And I've been talking with Cole Bradley, one of our regular commentators or in-house anthropologist. We've been talking about NAACP building and the whole history of Vance Avenue. So Cole, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on again. Can't wait till next time. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.